Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. that you are here today in the room, and we are also glad that we have people from all over the world joining us right now. We have Georgia, California, Florida, Michigan, Virginia, South Carolina, North Carolina, New York, Hawaii, Nigeria, and El Salvador. We are so glad that you are joining us, so welcome to Freedom House, and I have to tell you, you guys are in for a treat today. How many uh, men were at the breakfast yesterday? Raise your hand. Let me just tell you what happens. When the men go next level, we all go next level. When the water level in the marina rises, all the boats go up with it, and let me just tell you, you could feel in the atmosphere today what the men did yesterday in paving a way in the spirit. And for that, I say thank you. We love men here at Freedom House. We believe we should be making men men again, giving men. Please don't ever apologize for being masculine and being who God made you to be because the women, we love it. We honor you and we are so thankful. And because of all that happened yesterday, we got to come into church today and we felt a shift in the atmosphere because the atmosphere of expectancy is the breeding ground for miracles. And I believe that miracles are going to happen today in the name of Jesus. Now, you might think we have a special guest speaker with us today, but he's actually Uncle Roger. He's part of the family. But, but I just got to tell you something before he comes up here and speaks. Last year, or I should say, was it 2021? 2021. Uh, he was approached by the FBI, and he was told that Antifa, because he lives in the Seattle area, right? Dead silent. Seattle. Summer of love. 
So he lives in the Seattle area, and the FBI said, we want to let you know that you've been targeted by Antifa, and they want to take you out and your family out. They want to burn down your church and all of their campuses. And on top of that, uh, they know your kids' addresses, and they know your staff, their addresses at your church, and they're going to burn everything to the ground. You've got to figure out what you want to do. Now, some people may have stopped preaching the gospel. Some people may have backed up and said, hey, guys, we're just going to have to pack it up. Pastor Roger didn't do that. Pastor Roger stood. Now, the FBI told him that he needed to start wearing a bulletproof vest, which he did, but he did not stop preaching the gospel because the radicals came after him, right? The bullies. The same time that that is going on, he is diagnosed with cancer. The same time, pulls him into another fight, right? So he goes and he has an aggressive surgery to uh, try to combat this cancer and looked like things were going great. And then about a month before he was supposed to be here at Freedom House, he gets a call from the doctor that his levels have gone back up. And we gave Pastor Roger every opportunity, because he had to start treatments. We gave him every opportunity to not come and be here for our men's event yesterday and to not come and be here this Sunday morning at Freedom House. And he looked at us like we were nuts. He was like, do you think I'm going to let cancer stop me from doing the call of God on my life? Just like Antifa was a cancer that came in and tried to stop his city, and he said, oh, heck to the no, when the same thing tried to come and hit his body, he said, absolutely, I will not bow. So I want you to know today, church, that if Pastor Roger can fly across the country after going through the treatments and all that he's been battling this past year... He might have a word from God for us today that if we open up our ears, if we tune in to what the voice of God has to say, I believe something in the atmosphere will shift. I believe something in your situation will shift. So Freedom House, I want you to jump up on your feet and I want you to give it up for Pastor Roger Archer. seated. Man, it's so good to be with you. Hey, touch your neighbor on the shoulder and say, this is going to be a good morning. Go ahead and tell him that right now. You know, this is a phenomenal church that you attend. You may not realize it because you're up close to it. Um, but you know, uh, phenomenal churches don't just occur. They don't just come out and fall out of the sky and hit some, man, that was a, what hit me? That was an amazing church. No, it doesn't work that way. It works that way in nature, though. You know, like um, when lightning strikes the sand, it makes works of art in the form of glass. Or if you go to Arizona and you'll see some of the, 
the, the wind hewn rocks and the formations that, that, that nature just makes a phenomenon. Or, or there are these microscopic cells in Australia that link together and make hundreds of miles of reefs. Phenomenons happen in nature. Phenomenal churches don't just happen. Phenomenal churches occur because you have phenomenal leadership. Can you appreciate your Pastor Penny and Pastor Troy? Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, we live in Seattle where last year's summer was on a Thursday. We frolicked all day long. The sun came out. We got a burn. Rain came back. We ain't seen the sun since. It's just been Seattle. That's why when I came to Carolina Blue, I'm like, dang, I'm jealous. Coveting just a bit. Hey, if this is your first, second, or third time uh, at Freedom House, can you give me a little wave so I can see who you are so we can welcome you proper? First, second, third time, welcome. Welcome to you. Welcome in the back. Uh, welcome over here. Welcome to those online. And if you don't like this, cheer up. Uh, the pastor will be back next week. You know, I didn't, I didn't grow up in church. Uh, I, I grew up as a bartender's kid. At age 14, I was bar becking, stocking the shelves and changing the kegs. And at age 16, I was bartending. Idaho. Have you been? The land of rotary telephones and outdoor plumbing, still. And, and, and so I remember when I came to Jesus at age 18, it, it was such a shock to my system because I had never, you, you might think in America, no, but I had never been to a church and I had never held a Bible. It, it, it was so foreign to me. And I, this, this guy that, that led me to Jesus handed me this Bible and it was a layman's parallel Bible, which meant it had many translations. Pastor Penny, you've seen those things. They will gag an elephant. Couldn't get, elephant couldn't get it down. That thick. And I had never read a book in my life. I'm like, no chance. I ain't getting through this thing. So I started in the middle. I opened the middle. I, I found this an amazing book, and it just, it just wrecked me. Um, I, I found the book of Paslims. And when, and, when, and when I was reading it, I got to Paslims 1, and, and it just turned my heart, and I got emotional, and I got to Paslims 9, and I'm like, oh, there's a God. I feel him. And then I got to Paslims 23, y'all, and let me just tell you, I was wrecked for normal. Oh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lay that ground and be pastoral. Wicka, 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 wicka. Paslim 23. Yeah, I was quoting Paslims for about two weeks, and finally this guy comes around. Come here. The P is silent. <laughs> I did not know that. Good to know. You know, when I, when I, when I gave my heart to Jesus, uh, I was living with my dad, and I, I went and told him, I said, Daddy, I, I gave my heart to Jesus. He goes, pack your stuff. You're out. I don't want none of that God stuff in my house, and so we're done. So my dad and I's relationship ended, which was a bummer because I was homeless my senior year of high school. And then uh, I also lost my, my vocation. And that's a kind of important deal when you want to go to college. And so the guy that handed me the Bible said, this book has relevant answers for today's tough questions. So I went to the index, tried to find answers for my tough questions. I found the book of Job. And when, when, I, when, I, when I got there, <laughs> I, when I got there, I was in mild depression by chapter three. <laughs> May I just assume that you don't know anything in here? 
can, can that be my basis for this morning? Because maybe you are, some of you are real biblical scholars, or you think you are, um, and, and you know everything, but, but maybe you're like me, and this book was super intimidating to you. Now, this book is one book made of 66 smaller books written by 40 people over 2,500 years, which is amazing because it's seamless. It reinforces itself over 2,500 years, 40 different authors. Uh, the first books are called the Old Testament, 39 books written before the birth of Jesus. And the last part of the book is the New Testament called the New Testament. 27 books written after the resurrection of Jesus. Now, you might wonder, why did we get to 66? Well, it was because in, uh, in 323 AD, there was a Roman emperor. I find this kind of ironic, since it was the Romans that killed Jesus 300 years earlier. But in 323 AD, at the Council of Nicaea, there was a Roman emperor by the name of Constantine who found Christ. He was lost. And then he got found. Uh, and, and, and so he commissioned 1,600 bishops to collect all the writings that was ever written about God, Jesus, and all the characters. And they took about five years to compress all of the writings into 66 books, and they called it a canon. The canon in the Greek word means measuring stick. So you want to know how to measure your life? Right here. This is how you measure your life. So the canon is closed. Nothing can be added. Nothing can be taken away. So sorry, Joseph Smith. Yeah, yeah you out. Um, this book is not a book of history. This book is a, it's a womb giving birth. It's a lung giving breath. Because it says about itself that it is alive and active. And it's full of life and power. Someone say it's good to have God's word handy. I, uh, I'm a military brat. My dad was in the Navy. Any military folks in the, in the house this morning? Can you appreciate our military? Appreciate you all so much. <laughs> I, 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 I was headed to West Point. I had my congressional letter. And um, I was going to go serve our country. Like my, I, I, All my family's military. There are two Congressional Medal of Honor winners in my family tree which is the highest honor bestowed upon military servicemen and women. Uh, but I'm always fascinated by the, the mottos, the mottos. Uh, the army, how many army folks? Any army? Army, army strong. Is that, is that you, got a tat, you got a tat somewhere, don't you, right? Army strong, yeah, it's all over. Uh, how about the Navy? Any Navy folks? Navy, all right, Navy. Forged by the sea. Sounds like Aquaman, the movie, you know? How about the Marine Corps? You got, you got, you got Marines? Hoorah. Semper Fi. Always faithful. I love that. Always faithful. How about some Air Force? Got any Air Force folks? Air Force. All right. Aim high, fly, fight, win. God, that's, that's so cool, man. But you know who doesn't get much love? The Coast Guard. Now, why y'all giggling about that? The Coast Guard. But, yeah, yeah, the Navy girl's laughing about the Coast Guard people. I love that. But the, their motto is my favorite of all. Their motto, so others may live. So others may live. Uh, you know something about hurricanes here in North Carolina, yes? And, and so you know when the wind blows 73 miles an hour, that's a class one hurricane. 
and it goes up to class five when it gets to be 173 miles an hour. That's a class five hurricane. When all other branches of the military are grounded because of strong winds, there is one branch that goes out irrespective, and it's the Coast Guard. In 2019, there was a horrific hurricane that destroyed the Bahamas. Seven billion dollars of damage. The winds were blowing at class two hurricane gusts. The Coast Guard got the call. There were 107 people that were stranded and needed rescuing, and the Coast Guard went out. They went out to go rescue and save lives so others may live at the cost and the risk of their own. And don't you know, they retrieved all of those that needed help, and they found them and brought them home. (laughs) The title of my message this morning, Search and Rescue. Search and Rescue. Because the reason, not a reason, the reason... Jesus came to the earth was to seek and to save those who were lost. That's what Jesus said himself. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. And we are all in needing of search and we are all in need of rescue. I'm going to be reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, in the next 26 minutes and 14 seconds today. You are going to be lit up by the electric word of God, not by the humor or the clever colloquialisms of a speaker or communicator. The word of God has got something for you today. I flew all the way across the country so that you can get juiced by Jesus. Now, I find it interesting in in, uh, John's gospel. Now, the first three gospels are called the synoptics because there's 90% original material of all the gospels. Man, when I was reading through the gospels, Pastor Penny, I was like, I wonder if the whole side of the book is gonna read the same. I thought they needed some creativity. The synoptics have 90% original material, but the gospel of John has 90% original, different than the synoptics. And I like what John said when he said, Jesus never, never taught without a story. Isn't that interesting? Jesus only always painted word pictures. He didn't take this this book and try to jam it down someone's throat with theology. He was, consider the lilies of the field. How about the birds of the air? There was a man that had two coins. I mean, Jesus was always telling stories. And when he comes to Luke chapter 15, I like how it starts out. So Jesus told them this story. He said, if a man has a hundred sheep, And one of them gets lost. What will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness to go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? You know, when I was in high school, I was that kid that you would say, don't even bother inviting him to church. He's a party kid. He's a wild child. He's... He's dangerous. Don't bring him around church folk because he'll contaminate them. And so quite literally, I never got invited except for this one pesky, annoying gnat of a girl. Incessantly. Do you want to come to church this Sunday? No. Okay, how about youth group Wednesday? No. We have a special camp? No. She would not let it go. And when he finds it, will he joyfully Now check this out and file this in your memory bank. 
because I'm going to refer to it later. Won't he carry it home on his shoulders? And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Now, what is, what is the parable? What's the allegory? What's the metaphor? He is telling you the picture of heaven, what happens when people who are lost become found. In the same way, there is more joy. Everyone say more joy. There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It's alive and active. Let the indelible impressions of your fingerprints be massaged on the tapestry of our soul. God, I pray that you would help us not just be stirred, but be changed by your word. If you agree with that, would you say, Yaman? which is Jamaican for amen, in case you were wondering. As I was considering this message, and I was considering about the search and rescue mission that Jesus is on so others may live, I was thinking about the different paradigms we find ourselves in the stations of our life. Because how many know that life, well, you may not know this, I'm just gonna tell you this. I'm 57, I know stuff. I'm gonna give you life. Here it is, it's in a triangle. Your life is either in a mess, coming out of a mess, or going into a mess. Some people say, well, if God is so good, why is it so bad? You're not in heaven yet. Welcome to earth. This is not your home. This is a bus stop. Your roots need to go up, not down. Because Jesus wants you to be rooted in him. So in the course of his life, hey, if you're in a mess, cheer up. You're going to come out of it. I think there's a country song written about that. If you're going through hell, just keep. Don't stop and take pictures, y'all. I'm working on my y'all. You like that? So I've considered these these paradigms we find ourselves in in life when Jesus is on his search and rescue. And here's the first one. I want us to consider that in high seas, he dives into the storm. As I was preparing for this message in prayer, and I was thinking about the parable of the lost sheep, what I know about Jesus is this, that he is not held hostage by the elements of nature. There's nothing in the scope of humanity that makes him rendered finite. He is the God that is infinite. He spans the universe from thumb to pinky, and he holds the oceans of the world in the palm of his hand. And some of you right now, quite frankly, are in the high seas. There are storms and tempests blowing in your life. Yeah, that relational train wreck that you're in the middle of, that you're just barely holding it together. Yeah, God sees that. That physical malady that you're going through. Hey, I remember the first time the doctor says, you need to come talk to me. I'm like, yeah, what's up, doc? He goes, I'm just gonna give it to you straight. I said, well, I like it that way. Give it to me straight. He goes, you have cancer. And let me just tell you what goes through your mind when a doctor says, you have cancer. You're instantly thinking about, huh, wonder how much longer I get to breathe. Wonder how many more memories I get to make. How many times more times do I get to kiss my children and love my wife? How many more times do I go hang out with my, with my dogs and go like, drive fast with my race car on the, on the racetrack. I mean, how many more of those days do I get? You know, when you get that doctor's report, it can be dissettling. And by the way, 
It will be dissettling. Some of you are in this vocational challenge where you thought you had your dream job, now it's your dream nightmare. And you're trying to go through it and find fulfillment and it's just not getting it done and your stomach is just churning. In Mark chapter four, they're on the Sea of Galilee, which of course is not a sea, it's a body of fresh water. It's in the northern region of Israel and it's in a bowl. It's in the Golan Heights. And when the wind comes down on the Sea of Galilee, four to five foot white cap waves can come over and those little fishing boats aren't made for that kind of water. But there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat against the ship and it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. Come on, have you ever felt like, hello Jesus, would you like to wakey wakey, eggs and bakey? I got stuff going on here. Stormy, big seas, wake up. So they woke him up. And they said to him, Master, cares thou not that we perish? He goes, chill out, y'all. That's paraphrased. And he arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. Some of you haven't experienced calm for a while. And what the search and rescue God of the universe is saying to you is this. It doesn't matter the size of your problem when you know the size of your God. Because you got a little God, you got big problems. You got a big pro God, you got no problems. And God will dive into the sea with you. It's not that he's just calling out from the shore, making you figuring it out for yourself. He's going to jump in and save your life. In 1998, my beautiful wife, by the way, my beautiful wife, Tina, is here with me today. Um, she gets confused as my daughter all the time, and I, it's okay, it's flattering to me, because if I can work that thing, props to me. Um, but in 1998, we planted our church in a little town called Puyallup. It's the name most butchered uh, of any city in America. If you look at it, it's P-U-Y-A-L-L-U-P. Even God can't pronounce it. <laughs> and so we planted our church, and uh, we were just like little nobodies, little amoebas in the Nowhereville, but a burning passion in our heart to win the Puget Sound, the Seattle region for Jesus. And, and I remember we were, just, we were just hustling, man. We were side hustles on side hustles and just getting after it and having home Bible, because we didn't have a building, we met in our house. Home Bible study, door to door, 3,800 houses. Hi, my name's Roger, starting a church. Would you like to come to our home? But I'll never forget the day I got a phone call and this prefix came up on my phone, 808. Now, if you ever get those numbers and you don't know who they are, yeah, you just shut it off. But I knew this prefix was Hawaii, so I answered. Because I think God lives there. Hawaii. And on the other end of the phone, there was an unmistakable voice, a man who I was very well versed with, a man by the name of Wayne Cordero. Now, Wayne Cordero is a father to the faith in modern church history. He will be known as the guy who really moved the needle in the 21st century of building the kingdom of God. This guy, if you've never met him, 
uh, you're missing out. And if you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Wayne Cordero was the foremost mentor of church pastors in the world. He had a thing called a learning practicum where pastors from all over the globe would come and sit at his feet and he would teach them how to do what they do. There were pastors from Argentina that had 90,000 people in their church sitting in his room of teaching. I'll never forget the day I got the phone call. I opened up my phone, hello? He goes, hello, this is Pastor Wayne Cordero. He's a little Portuguese Hawaiian dude. I mean, Totally unimposing. Hello. And just the sweetest guy. You get a cavity just walking next to him. He's so sweet. And and, and so he said, Roger, I'd like to invite you to our learning practicum. Um, Would you be interested? I'm like, is that a trick question? He goes, I'll pay for the whole trip. When do you want me there? Yes, coming. So I'm sitting there in this room of 35 other pastors. You had to be 5,000 and up. In, in church size to get into the room. And there I am. I'm like, one of these things just doesn't belong here. It's time to play our game. And everybody, when Pastor Wayne was talking, and it was like literally seven hours a day for five days in a row. And he just talked, and we just took notes. We wanted to be students. But there was this one guy, this, this, this one guy. You know, in every room, in every bar, there's that guy. And and I have nothing against the state of Texas. I love, te- I love Texas. Texas has many beautiful people. In it, but what the heck is it with Texas that thinks it's the greatest thing since sliced bread? So this guy is there in Texas. And, and, and every time Pastor Wayne started to talk, this guy would go, Pastor Wayne, I think you need to reconsider that kind of strategy. That would never work in DFW. I don't know what y'all do in here in Hawaii, but that would just be not, that dog don't hunt. Every time Pastor Wayne started to talk, this guy interrupted him, and, and people were getting annoyed. Nobody liked him. Nobody. At the end of the week, he was sitting by himself at a table alone in the corner because everyone else didn't want to be near that guy. To finish off the practicum, Pastor Wayne took us out in outrigger canoes in the big waves, and he said, okay, everyone, you're going to have to wear a life jacket now because there's going to be big waves, and we want you to really row on the other side of the canoe because if you paddle on the same side, you will flip it, and you may die. (laughs) So we get out there on the beach, and this Texican gets handed his life jacket. He goes, no self-respecting man from Texas ever wear one of those sissified things. I ain't going to wear that thing. No chance, no how. Okay. <laughs> we get out there about a mile offshore off of Honolulu, and it's rolling, man. It's like four or five feet. The dude puts his paddle on the wrong side of the outrigger, digs it, flips the outrigger. We're in 30 feet of water. Dude ain't got a life jacket, and the dude can't swim. And everybody's like, do we just let him go? <laughs> And I had this convicting thing in my, oh God, I'm a trained lifeguard. Fine, over the side I go. I get over to him and I, I get him in a cross chest carry and I'm, I'm trying to get him to a boat. And you know, drowning victims, when they're struggling, they're panicking and, and they, they'll pull you under. And so you know what they teach you in lifeguard training is that you gotta punch them in the face. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit after I was debriefing in my mind, said, yeah, Roger, and uh, yeah, you're the guy from Texas. Because you're so sophisticated and you got it so wired and dialed, you don't need my input. After all, I am God and you are Roger Archer, so why would you bother needing me? 
You know what I found to be comforting in my soul is that Jesus comes to the bow of the ship with his shepherd garb on and he just says, peace be still, let there be let there be peace. And Roger, no matter what, I'm coming after you. And when you're in the storm, you're not in it by yourself. Isn't it good to know that there is a God that sees, knows, hears, and cares and loves us? Maybe you're not in a, in a storm, but maybe, maybe, just maybe you're on a high mountain. You're in a high mountain. Can I just tell you on the high mountains? Yeah, he braves the terrain. He's not afraid of the crevasses. He's not afraid of, of the steep slope. But yeah, he's not concerned about the frigid temperatures. And on those, very high temp, on those very high terrains, he braves them. Do you know what this is, these high terrains? These are our success moments in our life. Do you know when you're least closest to Jesus? Yeah, after you've been successful. Because when you've had a series of successes and you've had lots and lots of successes and you're looking around going like, what do I bother needing God for? I got this thing dialed. This is great. And you know what happens? Ever so subtly, we become lost. I was sitting with a guy a couple weeks ago having coffee and he is like in the one percentile of wealth dudes. Started as a small startup tech guy in Seattle and had a love for God. But as he got more and more wealthy and his prop jet became a full jet and his jet took him to his island and he had all this wealth and, his, and, and all these resources and all these means, then his family started falling apart his wife left him. His children forsook him. And all of a sudden, he's on this very high mountain. And he's all alone. And he's feeling like he doesn't want to live anymore. Can I just tell you that when you're on the high mountains, he braves the terrain. He braves the terrain. One of my, one of my life verses is Romans chapter 8, verse 38. I needed to know this verse when I was first coming to Jesus because I just felt like as long as I was good enough, God would love me. As long as I did all the right stuff, God was proud of me. But when I turned to my human nature, all of a sudden there was a, this big gap and a crevasse between us. But Romans 8, 38 says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. There's an old corny movie that I really love. It's called Vertical Limit. And in this limit, these, these brother and sister climbing team, they're estranged relationally, but his sister's gotten separated and he loves his sister so much that the helicopters can't get there because the altitude is too high and he's gotta go get her. It's a race against time because she has pulmonary edema. She's drowning in her lungs of fluid at very high levels and she's trapped in a crevasse. She's on the radio and she says, just leave me. It's, you'll never get here. It doesn't matter. And I forgive you and I love you. But he loves his sister and he can't, bear the thought of her dying. So he goes against the odds and gets a team and he goes up on K2 and he's gonna go after his sister. But he comes to this part of the crevasse where he made the wrong turn and horror of horrors, there's this great gaping drop of thousands of feet between he and she and this is what he does. Vertical Limit, watch this with me.
can't you just see Jesus? <laughs> He's coming after you. He loves you. No matter where you are, no matter how lost you are, no matter how vulnerable you may feel, he's got the grit, he's got the look, and he's made his mind up to come after you. Aren't you, no, aren't you knowledgeable that Jesus did not volunteer to come to the earth? He obeyed. His father sent him. And even when he got here at the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, I don't want to do this, Daddy, but not my will. Your will be done. Because you know what Father God, you know why Father God sent him? Look around the room. It's because of the search and rescue mission. Someone should say amen to the Lord and say thank you right about now. The third paradigm is out in the desert. He comes bearing water. What I found about life to be true is life isn't lived on the mountains and life isn't lived in the valleys. Life is lived in the boring middle where there's not that boom, boom, pow, where there's not that pizzazz, there's not that pop. There's just life. There's figuring it out. There's the battle for your sexual purity, battle for your marriage, battle for your children, battle for your dating relationship, battle for peace and sanity, and it's just the desert. And sometimes because we are not in proximity to God, we feel very arid. Some of your spiritual skin is so crackly, it's in desperate leave need of the lotion of the Lord. He wants to salve you. He wants to come to you in your desert because prophetically I can just see it right now in your life that there is sand all around you and there's this mirage of what looks to be like water but it's just heat. Isn't it good to know that in Isaiah 43, God says, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and blessing on your descendants. You see, it is quite inconsequential what your eyes tell you right now because faith is not believing what we see. Faith is believing what he has said. And for some of you that are in the desert right now, may I bring encouragement to you. Maybe your relationship is so dry, it's so flat, there's no spark. The God of the universe can breathe into that relationship and bring it back to life. Maybe there's just no fulfillment in your career path, but God can breathe the breath of God. Do you know that there are two words for the breath of God and both of them are nautical terms? In the Old Testament, it's the word ruach. And the word in the New Testament, it's the word pneuma. Both of them are the propulsion of wind into the sails of boats. Now, here's what I know about the ocean. In the open ocean, there's a term called the doldrums, and it can last for weeks. And if you're miles out to sea and the wind stops blowing, you're in deep trouble. And sailors would often look up to the flaps of the sails, praying for the wind to blow. And when it didn't blow, they would get scurvy, a condition without citrus, or they would die of absence of food and water. Some of you right now, you're in the open sand of life, and there's no wind flapping in the sails of your soul. But if you would call out to God, the Ruach and the Numa of the great I Am will blow into the sails of your soul and give you authentic propulsion, not something you would have to manufacture. You don't need a hookup. You don't need a shoot up. You don't need to snort up. You need to worship. And when you begin to worship God, there is something powerful that comes from the breath of God. The fourth and final paradigm in the next three minutes and 54 seconds is this. Deep in the pit, he descends with a way of escape. Deep in the pit, he descends with a way of escape. Because you see, the deep pits of life 
are not like the mountains of alone. It's not like the desert of dry. It's not like the sea of storm. It is so evil. It is so wicked. It is so vile that you just don't see a way out. At age 18, I sat in my bedroom with my 30-30 rifle across my knees. I jacked a shell into the chamber and I'd written my letter to my mother telling her goodbye and I was sorry. At age nine through age 12, I was molested by my uncle, my dad's brother. And that'll really mess up the way you see the world. Women were just disposable pleasures, not meaningful pursuits, and people were a tool to be used, not jewels to be utilized. I was a manipulator, and I was broken, and I was angry, and I was devastated, and I just couldn't stomach one more day. As the barrel of that gun went into my mouth, and I was ready to say goodbye to this horrible place called earth I'd remembered Paslam's chapter 40 <laughs> and as I was reading through Paslam's this is the verse that saved my life it says he lifted me out of the slimy pit out of the mud and the mire and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand what dark pit you're in but here's what I know he'll come after you he will search and rescue you to your last breath it's the nature of our God he's a God that's a finder he finds lost people now maybe you're a follower of Jesus but followers of Jesus can lose their way you see, you're either a follower of Jesus or you're a seeker of him. Those watching online, those watching here in the room. One of two camps and we all, we all in the same boat pulling on a different oar, hopefully paddling on the correct side of the canoe. If you're a follower of Jesus that have lost your way, Jesus calls you prodigal. But that's okay. It just means it's time to come home now. And if you're a seeker of Jesus, well, it's time for you to let him to come into your heart because the reason God sent Jesus is so that he could move geography. He didn't want to live beside us. He wanted to live inside us. And some people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. Your head to your heart. You might say, I believe in Jesus. Yes, so does the devil. See, Jesus wants you to go from believing in him to believing him. He's on a search and rescue mission for you. And, and, and why is he going to search and rescue you? So you can join the Coast Guard of heaven and help others so they may live. 
See, that's the purpose of my life. That's why I draw breath. I know why I get out of bed every morning. I know why I get up with my feet on the floor. It's because I'm on a mission to make sure if people want to go to hell, they got to get through me. You want to go to hell, you better fight hard, baby, because I'm going to love you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to teach you, and I'm going to believe in you, and I'm going to pray for you. I'll never quit on you, and I'm mortal. How much more so is the God of the universe passionately in love with you? I want to invite everyone, if they would, to bow their head and close their eyes before Jesus. It's only 1230. You're going to beat the Baptist to the restaurant. It's okay. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, you're so good, Lord. You're so good. You're so good, Lord. You love your people. You love your people, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, you love your people. Jesus, you love your people, Lord. Love them, love them, love them. This morning, if you're within the sound of my voice and you've gotten lost, you were once a follower of Jesus, but either the storm or the desert or the mountain or the pit has taken you off course. And it's time for you to come home now. It's time for you to come home. And maybe, just maybe, you've never invited Jesus into your heart. Hey, I remember the first time for me, it was the weirdest thing in the world and the best thing in the world all at the same time. But if you want to have Jesus come into your heart, (coughs) this is your window. This is your moment. So in a moment, you're going to hear the word now. And when I say now, that's my invitation for you to put your hand high into the air. And you're going to serve notice to hell that you'll be his puppet no more. And you're going to put your hand in the air and you're going to serve notice to heaven. I'm your child. You're my father. And I'm going to heaven. And I'm going to bring others with me. I hope you're ready for that word now. Because that word now is coming. All of heaven and all of hell are watching the room and the web. What will you now do with what you now know? Queen's Gambit, yeah, it's your move. Here comes that word now. Get ready with your hand. It's coming in three, in two, in one. Right now, put your hand high into the air and say, Pastor, here I am. Please pray for me. Come on. Can you welcome about 20, 25 people that have said yes to you? Keep your hand high into the air. Keep your hand high into the air. <sighs> Welcome home, welcome back home, welcome, welcome, welcome. Can we all pray this out loud together so no one feels put on blast? I want all of us, come on, in a loving Freedom House way, a loving way to pray this prayer out loud together for these 20 or so that said yes to Jesus. Come on, say, Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you for your forgiveness. I am now clean. I am now free. And I am now home in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Can, you, can you come back up here with us for just a moment? Pretty nice. Can we give it up to Pastor Roger Archer? Come on. Continue clapping for all those who just gave their life to Christ. Come on. They're doing it in heaven. We might as well do it here.
So as Pastor Penny said earlier, he's still battling. And I want to come alongside him. And I want you guys to extend your faith toward him also because we're going to pray over him. God's got mighty works ahead of you, ahead for you. There's campuses coming. There's people's lives going to be changed. This wasn't just a one-off. You're, you're going to travel the world preaching his name, and lives will be changed. He's not done by a long shot. Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now, Lord. We just pray life over Pastor Roger. Lord, I just pray you remove sickness from his body right now in the name of Jesus. From the top of his head to the soles of his feet, God, we just pray that by your stripes he is healed. Lord, we believe your word. It will not bring back void. And right now, as we agree, God, it shall be done in the name of Jesus that he is whole and healthy. And Lord, that his days are so numerous ahead of him, God. So many lives are going to be changed, Lord, because he's going to be your conduit, Lord. The, the message is going to come through him, Lord. The, the message of the Lord, that the Lord loves them, that the Lord died for them and was raised for them. And Lord, just like you turned his life around, so many other lives are going to be turned around, God. Lord, I thank you for his life. I thank you for his obedience to follow you, God. I thank you for the word that he brought here at Freedom House today, God, and the lives that were changed. For all those coming, God, that you're going to put in his path. I thank you that you're organizing that right now as we even speak, God. As he gets on the plane this evening, God, you're putting somebody beside him, Lord, that needs to know about you. We thank you for it, Lord. I pray blessing over his church, Lord over all of his leaders and his congregation, God. Lord, I pray it continues to expand. They be the, the tower, the lighthouse in a dark place, God, that people will run to. And lives will be dramatically changed in that city because of his church and his obedience to you. We praise you today, Lord, and we thank you that you are the almighty physician. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.